Hello, my friends. Welcome to the podcast of the nerd. I mean, you look different. Got a new shirt? Uh, huh. It has been a couple of weeks since we've spoken. I did the thing. I did the thing. I did the thing I'm always saying I'm going to stop doing, and then I did it. Uh, I dropped everything to focus on the guides, kind of. Uh, other things have happened. We'll get into it. A little bit of a different look today. If you're uh, watching this on YouTube, my friend finished finishing the basement of this place. So we're moving tomorrow. Um, and I finally get to have an office again, and I'm going to do the first thing any sane person should. I'm going to set up the VR and play Half-Life Alex finally. Anyway, uh, today on the podcast, I'm going to talk a little bit about where have I been, then um, talk about the episode guide for family, a few things I've been watching, um, the serendipity of fiction, I suppose, and then uh, get into plans for the week and wrap up with a fan fiction reading. Two chapters today of Here is Gone by Terry Boda. Um, I promised a friend a couple of weeks ago I would put out a two-chapter midweek reading video and promptly welched on the promise. So uh, I owe him two chapters today. I think we're going to go long. But that's okay. Things take the time that they take. All right, so I've missed the past two weeks. Where have I been? Well, first of all, um, I don't know if you can tell, but family, the episode guide, uh, took way longer than I'd originally expected it would when I started writing. It ended up being the second longest episode guide on the channel behind Restless. Five by five was 23 minutes. I'll talk more about the script in a minute and some of the idiosyncrasies of the video. But someone asked me during the edit stream for that video if I planned to have certain videos be certain lengths, and I most certainly do not. Um, when I started doing this, I had read somewhere that the ideal YouTube video length was three minutes. And so for the first year, every video um, I made, I tried to hit that three-minute sweet spot. That's why the first season videos... That's one of the reasons why the first season videos are so concise, I guess. Um, the first time I went over ten minutes was, I believe... Prophecy Girl, I remember thinking to myself, I don't think anyone is going to watch this. Um, statistics kind of were what they were at the time, and if I remember correctly, the, the um, I mean, this is inside baseball, but the analytics showed that for most channels and most videos, after three minutes, you started losing the audience, and um, they call the the there's a term for that on the channel how long people the percentage of your video people tend to watch before they stop watching and the youtube algorithm favors um videos that 
people stay and watch for longer. So if you have a good retention, audience retention, then the YouTube shows your video more often because they want people to stay on the website, obviously. Things have changed uh, since then. As time has gone by, I've relaxed my own targets for video times to the point now where they just don't exist. And um, by and large, this community, you uh, in particular, have been incredibly kind to me. Um, I. It's funny, actually. It's so much so that that that. Um, I remember I uh, seeing the first person comment that the videos were getting too long. I think I've only seen that comment once. Um, I don't always get to read every comment on every video, but I do try to. And, um, you know, I mean, so that's, uh, every opinion exists. You know, you kind of have to accept that when you're doing this, that you're, you, there's a certain percentage, the internet breaks into certain percentages, part of it's ugly, and that ugliness is going to get on you from time to time, um, you know, and, and you develop a coping mechanism to that, or you don't, but also, you know, some people like it short. Some people like it long. That's not intended to be a euphemism, but I suppose it could be if you're into that kind of thing. But um, anyway, that's uh, as time goes by, I've relaxed my um, kind of restrictions for video times. And this season's videos feel like they're getting longer. But to me, when I start a script, in my head, I feel like I'm... Uh, searching for as much as I need to say about a particular episode, and then I'm done. I don't want to... I think there is such a thing as too much detail, as um, where the more you put into something, the less return you get. There's a balance in ingredients where, um, you know, we've talked about the... Uh, the themes, the characters, sort of well enough that it's now time to bring it to a close. <laughs> um, and tie everything together, the coda. And uh, um, I'm looking, for, I'm always looking for that, okay, everything that needs to be said has been said. Um, there have been times in the past where I, I kind of assumed that certain things were self-evident, and I included one of them in the um, in family, and that was the bit where Joyce said, "Have you tried not being the Slayer?" And that to me seemed like such a a straightforward expression of, I, I mean, a, straight, a straightforward sort of allegorical reference to coming out to a parent. Have you tried not being gay? That I couldn't think of anything else to say about it. Other than see that exists, there it is. You know, it, it 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 the ingredient didn't enhance the recipe of that essay when I was writing it at the time, and so I left it out, and um, that brought on many comments on that video of people telling me that I overlooked or I didn't see or that 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 scene was so important to them. Um, 
that I think that, that uh, to me, a part of the video's, um, to me, a part of the, the, the value return on the videos is just in acknowledging experience, is in letting people know I see, uh, I guess, for lack of a better, better term, not for my sake, but people, um, you know, want to feel seen, and um, and uh, the 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 purest emotional resonance uh, in the episode guides is when I find my emotional connection to the material. Yes, those are the most effective videos: the prodigal, daddy issues, so forth. But um, it that doesn't mean that that there isn't an opportunity to be of greater value, I guess. I don't know. It's hard it's hard to say. Which is why I, I sort of retroactively included um that reference in family was because I realized that to not highlight what Joyce said was lazy um because there was something there anyway i uh, kind of getting lost in my own thoughts here um so yeah re relaxing the, the 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 expectations of times on the videos and so forth and and now i feel like i'm looking for that balance of what i what there is to say and then uh, stop when I'm adding too much. And I've, I have done videos where I've added too much. Um, the funny thing is, like, restless would seem the obvious one, but it isn't because that was an exercise in overkill. Because the episode is an exercise in... in not overkill, but detail. You know. Uh, including as much as possible. Including... Um, every... Everything has subconscious relevance. Everything because that it, it does to our subconscious. Um, but I can't think of a video that I feel like was overwritten off the top of my head. There, there are many. Um, so yes, relaxing the total amount of time. But couple that with the fact that we've built up at this point five seasons in, we've built up a lot of lore, theme, and character complexity as the seasons have gone along, and. Um, Couple that with the fact that I believe just doing this for years now has made me a better writer. So ultimately, there's just more to bring up and more to talk about. So the videos are getting longer because the show got more complex and because I probably got better at developing ideas that I wanted to talk to you guys about. Um, so we're, we're just kind of at that point where... The videos, I the videos are as long as they're going to be every time. I don't set goals. I don't set times. I'm just looking for my own sense of completeness uh, when it comes to it. That said, whenever I drop my voiceover into the editing timeline and see a video that is going to be over 20 minutes long, I still get annoyed. Uh, mostly because I'm always behind, and it just means more work. Um... 15 minutes is probably the sweet spot in my mind now. But I don't aim either way. I just, you know, I hope. So, uh, 
family being a bigger script to tackle than I expected was one aspect of this. The other aspect, of course, is has been anxiety. You know, um, I, I'm just not going to beat myself up about that because that just makes more anxiety. It's like, yeah, fire doesn't counter fire. Um, I was talking to my therapist last week, and I asked her, I said, uh, you must have a pretty unique vantage point on how current events are affecting everyone. Have you noticed commonalities? And she said, oh, for sure. Everyone's anxiety is way up. Everyone's coping mechanisms are on, are on overdrive. People are eating more, drinking more, binging more TV. But see, here's the thing. <laughs> As a few times a week overindulger of adult juice boxes in a good week, um, my coping mechanisms going into overdrive are, you know, uh, a lot. So... This is a unique event in history for us as a society, but it is not a unique event for me as a neurotic. I've just been thinking about this. Harley died last year. Uh, family members will die in the coming years. Relationships have ended. There will always be events on the timeline that have the potential to induce uh, an unhealthy spiral. Um, and this will just continue to come up again. Happened last year for something I haven't talked to you guys about. And for 20 years since I started college and met my first booze friend in the form of a 30-pack of Keystone Light. Makes my stomach angry just thinking about those days. I've never really consumed boozy beverages the way I quote-unquote here adults do. When I was a kid, we would go to a restaurant and my dad would order a glass of vodka. That still seems unusual to me, but, you know, uh, a glass of vodka. Um, you know, I live with friends. My roommates sometimes have a shot in the evening and they have toddlers. If anyone should be prone to boozing during a pandemic, it's them. But they have a shot and maybe a glass of wine and go to bed. And over the course of 20 years, I've tried that. I just don't really have an interest in one glass of wine. I have an interest in 10. Short of that, I'd just rather have a Diet Coke or a glass of ice water. Alcohol is a functional beverage for me, like Red Bull. So, I have decided to quit drinking. For good, this time. January and February were something I did uh, for my weight. This is something I'm doing for my well-being. Um, I just really can't afford to lose entire days recovering anymore after an evening of indulging. And... I'm getting older, I've had health problems, I'm certainly not fit, and this doesn't help. Um, and I know this problem has gotten on friends, past loves. Uh, you don't drink at my weight class, 
or semi-pro without um, making an ass out of yourself from time to time. And that just doesn't really work when you live in a house of 10 people, half of them kids, that I want to be a good influence on. But since I've made this decision, um, I've been reflecting on things this past decade that happened that I just chose to ignore because I could. Because I didn't hold myself in the same esteem as the people I live with. Uh, I like drinking all the wine more than I liked climbing stairs without getting winded. And I suppose, uh, ultimately, it just affected me. So, change. That's really the gist of this podcast, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I was, uh, well, anyway, it's been about a week. I feel pretty clear. Um, after making the decision, I immediately finished the family video. I've been sleeping like a madman, uh, which is incredibly rare for me. Um, but you know, like I said, I've stopped. I've been a heavy drinker for 20 years. Um, I've stopped at various times before. Never made the decision to do it for good when I wasn't in the midst of a deep depression, which I'm not now. And I think that bodes well for the decision. You don't give up something you've been doing for 20 years easily. But I was never the get up and have a drink drink to get by, hide bottles type, I'm the one turns to 20 type. So, no more one for me. Uh, since I've stopped for periods before, was it months at a time, mostly for to jumpstart fitness and uh, physical health and to, to try and lose some weight. It, But it was easy. And... Um, my experience in doing that, uh, to me, has shown that um, the hard part is going to be three months from now, when things have been going well, and I start to say, you know, I'm doing pretty well. I bet I could have a glass of wine. And when that happens, three months after that, I'm running down the street at 4 a.m. with my pants over my head. But... I'll deal with the hard part when it gets here. And since you are my accountability buddy, I promise to be honest when it does. Or at the very least, honest about my rationalizations. Feel free to call me out on it in the comments. That is the accountability buddy job, after all. Anyway, I, um, I think it was Mark Twain who said, quitting smoking is easy. I've done it a thousand times. But... There's something so funny, like, I, I, when I was putting the notes together for this video, I didn't realize the, 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 there's kind of an overarching theme that I've been experiencing the past couple of weeks. Two days after I made the decision 
uh, YouTube recommended a Robin Williams clip to me in which he said, I recently decided, uh, of course I'm going to butcher this because I'm not Robin Williams, but he said, I recently decided to quit alcohol. Not because I wanted to, but because I kept waking up naked on the hood of my car with my keys up my ass. And I thought, that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> um, I'll keep you in the loop. And I can give you more detail about uh, my approach, my plan, uh, all of this, if you're interested, but the mechanics of it, I, 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 it's a big change, but the mechanics of it, I didn't, I thought were less important than, um, just the change itself. Anyway, the, the family video was an interesting process. Normally grappling with my notes is a frustrating experience. And when I run into an unexpected delay spike due to publishing Darla three days before quarantine life really gets going and spend two weeks in the fetal position cuddling a box of Boda, mostly the process of writing. But that said, and in spite of that, mostly the process of writing this one was pretty organic. Sometimes my videos can feel, and this is just me, right? Um, because I'm aware of the process, I'm aware of how everything works and so forth. So I'm, uh, for me, sometimes my videos can feel bullet pointy because they begin as an outline of bullet points. And then I refine and I refine and I bridge and I refine and I build out ideas and, and work from there. But uh, family just kind of worked. The script brings up a series of ideas uh, that I kind of bounce between, and then the, the coda, the conclusion, just ties them all together. Um, in the Helpless Guide, I talked about how inevitably the process of these scripts is going to mean diving into subject matter for which I have very little experience. That one specifically, it was feminism, and I've talked about feeling like a feminist by default, and the difference between that and, and educating myself. Uh, ethnicity, when it comes to, to the tropiness of gun story. My attitude about it has always been to research with an open mind and to try and learn for myself something of value that can enlighten the script. And in the case of family, that realm was the, no doubt, the LGBTQ experience. And while it didn't become a major section of the script, what is there uh, was informed by me reaching out. In this case, I reached out to my friend Sarah and had a wonderful conversation. Um, and I believe that the, the, the emotional thrust of that section was because of that conversation I had with her. Um, so thank you, Sarah. And her channel, The Costume Codex, is linked in the show notes. The other thing I've started doing when I write is trying to challenge myself to be as specific as possible when it comes to terminology. I've actually been keeping a list of catch-all terms for big sociological ideas, mostly progressive in nature, um, that I want to avoid because I feel like they become crutch words for me rather than specifically defining an idea in the essay and then weaving that definition into the tapestry of the analysis. I end up saying this is Xander and Buffy's privilege and the essay loses some of its potency because I didn't bother to unpack that term. Um, writing also involves a certain amount of 
challenging my own preconceived notions of or 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 my own assumptions about particular ideas. I may think I know what gaslighting is, but do I? Am I sure? And so rather than just including the term, seeking to build out the specificity. And I think that the desire to be specific um, and expansive in family benefited the essay um, in a way that I feel is kind of um, intangible, but there. Uh, and again, I'm not suggesting these rules apply to anyone else writing about these topics. These are sort of checks and balances I've created against myself to kind of manage, um, you know, proclivities that I didn't appreciate in my own stuff. So, and as for the video's co coda, um, outros have become something of a thing, I guess, um, something the episode guides are known for, and I guess I've started to make peace with that. A piece of music kicks up, and I try to find an emotional core to all the things the script has talked about. The Fireflies are, videos are designed around that formula and sort of lead with it and embrace it openly, um, where it just kind of emerged organically and intermittently in um, the Buffy episode guides. I think Lie to Me might be the one the, that started that. Um, with that uh, Kubrick quote at the end of that. But I've spent some enough time with my friend Lonnie now, and I've just started to accept when we use words like trope and formula, those words aren't intended to mean something inherently bad. Having or using one isn't lazy in and of itself. They're starting points. The measure is all in what you do with them. And uh, with 200 videos on the channel, I had to develop some kind of familiar framework to hang every script on, so I wasn't reinventing the wheel every time. And accepting that, I feel like the outro um, in the family video brings everything together. Um, though one of the weirdest time sucks when it comes to videos is looking for just the right piece of music. I hate using the same music piece of music twice uh, in a video unless the reuse of it is motivated by whatever I'm saying in the script. So if I repeat an idea, it justifies repeating a piece of music, in other words. So because of that, I spend a lot of time looking for just the right tune, and family required a particular emotion for it. Music makes or breaks the emotional note of a composition. Melancholy is easy to achieve, but what I needed with family I would define as introspective and uplifting. Um, and afterwards, I discovered that the piece I used has a version with lyrics that will come in strangely handy down the line. That piece of music will have a dual ro role. I'm excited to share that with you. Anyway, um, this week I've been watching a few things. Jack and I got back to tackling our list of shame. And our first film getting back to it was... To Kill a Mockingbird. 1967 classic starring Gregory Peck who defends a man, uh, a black man, can, uh, on trial for 
raping a white woman in the 1920s in uh, the South in the U.S. Um, I had seen it. Jack had not. I haven't watched the movie since elementary school uh, when reading the book was required. Watching it now, I, I, I mean, to the point where I only remembered the Gregory Peck's um, final words, or closing speech. I, I forgot the term when it comes to legal stories. Uh, watching it now, boy, does it feel like we're in a different era. Uh, and I don't mean the era reflected in the movie itself, which is very true, but I mean the era uh, where it was required reading and viewing for an elementary schooler to read To Kill a Mockingbird. I might have been a junior in high school. Um, to read To Kill a Mockingbird and watch the movie. I was shocked that the material, which included topics of race relations, rape, and contained several uses of the N-word, was something that I read that young, or whenever it was I read and watched the film. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. The weird part is that I find it weird. <laughs> now, these are such strange times. Uh, that kind of material is something that kids should be exposed to. Reading about the US, uh, my country's ugly history is one thing, but fiction dramatizes that, brings it to life, and opens up a window to what experience of that history actually was. Um, it makes it relatable. And because of that, we don't just intellectually understand the problems, we emotionally understand the problems. Fiction is so powerful. But we live in weird times where context doesn't seem to matter. I'm a super liberal, progressive kind of guy, but I think in the States, here in the States, it's our cons conservatives that historically get labeled as the censorship party, but man has the pendulum swung. I was reading the other day about a couple of New J Jersey Democrats uh, who introduced legislation calling for state schools to ban Hawk Finn because he uses the N-word 200 times. Censorship, whether for the purposes of ignoring history or imposing religious values or for the purposes of sensitivity and to not offend anyone, is always wrong. I imagine every silencing, deplatforming, censoring group in history felt like they had good intentions, but it was always stupid. I apologize. I didn't mean to go there. Man, we live in exhausting times. Anyway, To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, the movie was made in 1962 and depicts events um, of an America during the Great Depression prece preceding World War II. That's part of the uh, IMDb summary. Part of the experience of doing this thing that Jack and I are doing um, that has been interesting is noticing the uncommon elements in what we watch that common contemporary storytelling doesn't use in the same way. And one of the, the things about To Kill a Mockingbird, and again, now it's so funny talking about uh, these classics that we all have seen and everyone is familiar with, or hopefully you have. You should watch it. It's wonderful. It's on Amazon Prime if you're in the U.S. Um, 
Jack said it was on Amazon Prime in Australia. But one of the things I, 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 because the reason that's an important part of the project is because normal evolves, storytelling evolves, acting evolves, the artistry, the composition, everything evolves. And we are sort of always in one particular part of the stream of that evolution. And so if you seek to go back, if you're someone whose palate has been completely shaped by modern storytelling, and mine definitely has been, um, when you seek to go back and and to diversify your palate, it's... Uh, if you don't acknowledge or uh, or sort of actively engage the material and the storytelling and the way these things are um, uh, unfolding in front of you, then you're prone to, I didn't like it, or rather I might be, and that's what I want to avoid, is, yeah, I just didn't like it. Yeah, the acting was dated. It was Well, of course it's dated. Everything's dated. It's 60 years old or 50 years old. That's not a cogent valuable redeeming thought to have and so as the master of my own experience uh when revisiting these or, or sort of going back i'm looking to part of that involves um you know engaging with the material as well as you can uh as thoughtfully as you can so the movie has um, a three-act structure that was very interesting. Um, it felt like a Shakespearean five-act structure. So um, modern stories are, uh, you know, rising action, climax, and then a very quick falling action and a resolution. Um, I, I, I don't have the terms proper. To all English majors, I apologize. You are right. Of course you are. Uh, but you're not here to tell me what the the proper terms are, so I'm just doing my best, okay? Um, but with Shakespeare, the the five act structure in Shakespeare, the climax is in the middle of the play, uh, and then goes down from there. I can't remember the climax in in Hamlet. I think it's the Mouse Trap, if I remember correctly, which is dead in the middle of uh, the play itself. But that it's a pyramid, and then everything sort of falls off from there, which is very unusual uh, in modern storytelling, which usually adheres to that sort of uh, s sloped um, rising action, falling action. But um, the climax of To Kill a Mockingbird felt like it took place in the middle of the movie, and there are three very specific sections and the middle one is the one i think most people remember and i had zero recollection of the opening and the close um by the way if you haven't seen to kill a mockingbird or read the book this is all going to be gibberish to you so you can the uh, time codes to skip ahead are in the show notes <laughs> um so the middle section is the court sequence, and the whole court sequence holds up incredibly well, even if, in terms of the mechanics of the trial, things feel a little bit shallow. But the 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 material does not. So I mean, by that I mean, would the would all these witnesses take the stand only in a day? Would the jury, uh, you know, everything is very compressed uh, in the story, and I think. 
you know, um, we just kind of become more educated about these things over time or, or, or tropes evolve. But um, it'd been long enough since I'd seen it that I didn't remember what verdict the jurors came back with. And watching it with Jack was a genuinely shocking moment. And he shouted, and um, uh, Jack was moved, actually moved by Atticus's speech. Jack's a good man. Parts of it felt dated. Certain performances on the stand feel a little too much. Certain choices feel like, this is acting, instead of someone embodying those characters. But Gregory Peck's speech as Atticus has to be one of the most timeless things ever put to film. He's so restrained. Um, and if it were done today, we would all be commenting on how most of that sequence was done in a single take. It's really beautiful. The only other thing I'm really familiar with of, of Gregory Peck's is his speech in from the movie, which was for a previously a play, Other People's Money. Danny DeVito, who directed it, uses... Um, the fact that Peck played Atticus to great effect. Peck is um, an elderly owner of a wire and cable company, and DeVito is a Wall Street shark doing a hostile takeover. And at the end, they both have to make a speech to the stockholders of the wire and cable, cable company as to whether to dissolve the company or keep it. And Peck exudes this Atticus-like level of decency and humanity. Uh, and DeVito is the absolute polar opposite. But by the end of the movie, I'm never sure which one of them is right. And I think that is a magic trick. Um, they are both equally captivating and logical. Um, I don't know. I've included links to all of these in the show notes, links to Atticus's speech in uh, To Kill a Mockingbird and then to Gregory Peck and Danny DeVito's speech in um, Other People's Money. They're worth a watch, even if you don't. I, I think I gave you enough context to enjoy uh, all three of them. Wonderful performances all around, worth watching. The other thing I've been watching that I mentioned to you previously was House, which I finished 177 episodes in three weeks? Don't judge me. Binging comfort television is a coping mechanism I'll never give up. Uh, and that is why the YouTube channel exists. Anyway, um, I think I described it to you the last time. What if a misanthropic version of Sherlock Holmes were a doctor in a hospital today? Instead of Holmes and Watson, the show has Holm, um, House and Wilson... And it's a 20 there are 20 episode seasons, so there's a lot of formula. New case, it might be this. Oh, it isn't. It might be this. It's not that either. I figured out what it is. Rinse and repeat. Sprinkle in character. It's very well done. Um, but I'm just letting you know what you're getting into. If you're looking for... I mean, familiarity is comforting, right? That's... Is that a staple of a comfort show? Uh... Uh, is Formula a staple of the comfort show? I don't know. I don't know. Is Buffy one of my comfort shows? See, my, my two comfort shows right now are um, The Good Place and Parks and Recreation. 
That's interesting. Uh, it would be interesting to define the criteria of what makes a good comfort show. I don't know that Buffy is a comfort show. It's a show It's a that I'll binge and and that I treasure and love, but do I don't know that I... It's too challenging, you know? Who finds season six comforting? Yes, the last episode. Yes, the yellow crayon. But all the things leading up to that? I don't know. Um, but here's why I bring up House. The uh, My favorite experience with any fiction is when I start to see bits of life reflecting in it. I think we all love that. And that happened twice. First um, was as I was the past couple of weeks personally grappling with some drinking that was threatening to spiral out of control. Holmes had an, I believe it was an opium addiction. I don't remember if it was opium or, I think it was opium. Um, And House in the show is addicted to Vicodin. And in various episodes, he grapples with his addiction. And um, there's a particular episode where someone tells him he's an addict and makes a bet that he can't go a week without taking it. And he takes the bet and goes into withdrawal. And um, at the end of the episode, acknowledges that he's an addict, but that he doesn't care. And I thought, hmm, that that feels pretty familiar. Then the addiction starts affecting his life, and he eventually has to give it up. And I mean, it's a very general addiction structure that they use um, that I'm sure a lot of people could identify with done very well. But I just love when the fiction we consume comes along so serendipitously. Um, During the rewatch, Jack and I also got into a pretty lengthy conversation about mortality. I don't know how much of that conversation Jack would be comfortable with me sharing, so sticking to my end of it, I told him that for some reason... I have spent a lot of time thinking about the fact that I come with a sell-by date. Of course, we all do. It's on our backs, though. We can't see the label. But it's there. Now, I want to be clear. (laughs) The usual fair warnings. I'm purely speaking about myself and the places I've gone mentally and emotionally with this topic. I'm not suggesting anyone should think the way I do or that I'm espousing any sort of truth this is just um, the a, a an explanation of um, personal emotional journey I've I've gone through routes, but um, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, and there's a certain randomness to it that I felt like I needed to accept. Yes, I could get the virus currently. Yes, I could be part of the group. It devastates, and that's how I would go. But I also could have been hit by a bus three years ago. I could have drank myself to death eight years ago. I could also have a coronary a year from now. I've had skin cancer twice. Um, It's going to happen. I hope I get 30 more years, but it is what it is. Um... And I suppose the point of the mental exercise for me has always been to make peace with things I have no control over. 
because that is something I have control over. <laughs> what I mean is, let's say I do get the virus and I do get sick. A certain amount of resentment and anger and sadness is human and inevitable. But if I get the choice, and I acknowledge we don't always do, um, I don't want to go out terrified. I would seek a certain peace. And for me, that's partly found in the inevitability and partly in gratitude for the run I've already gotten to have. It's been a good 40 years, been challenging 40 years, but less so than some and more so than others. Um, anyway, a couple of days after the, Jack and I had this conversation, I was watching an episode of House and one of the characters gets sick and it isn't fixable. And she and her <laughs> she and her boyfriend are laying in her hospital bed and she says it's time to go. It's okay. And he says it's not okay. Why is it okay with you? Why aren't you angry? And she says that's not the last feeling I want to experience. And that, to me, is uh, choice in practice. Um, and I told Jack the next day, drop everything. There's something we need to watch. You know, that's the power and serendipity of fiction, taking these concepts and ideas and grounding them in emotionally resonant and relatable stories where we find ourselves. It has to be my favorite thing. Jack and I watched the episode that night, both of us bawling on Skype. It was dignified and macho, except for the snot. Anyway, <clears throat> this week um, I'm working on the Firefly episode Shindig. Uh, Jess and I are hopefully going to uh, connect tomorrow and uh, work on our notes. I'd like to live tweet the outline on Tuesday. If we move tomorrow, it'll probably be Wednesday and have the script written and recorded by Friday, given my relation to time and predictions, let's say Sunday. Editing next week and publish the Friday after. This coming Saturday at 5 p.m. Mountain Time, I will be hanging with patrons in the $5 and Up Club, talking the Faith two-parter, in uh, Buffy Season 5, This Year's Girl and Who Are You? Uh, I'll be starting the YouTube stream component of it for everyone uh, about a half hour before to watch the episode guides. Look for that um, Patreon, the uh, YouTube event to be posted later on. And I'm going to try and get back to game streaming this week. Uh, I, I termed game streaming an element of self-care and... <sighs> Well, we're in the market for more of that. <laughs> Healthier and better ways. So, yeah. I'd like to get that going this week. Um, might not pick up Red Dead Redemption. Might try some Half-Life Alex. Might try some other things. We'll see. Um, I, uh, yeah, I just want to be open about that. Uh, no firm thoughts about days yet. So, oh, and I, I had backgrounds prepared and then didn't do them. I need a producer. <laughs> um, 
Anyway, no no firm thoughts about dates yet. If you want, follow me on Twitter if you'd like to keep abreast and join those streams and just hang out and have a chat. Before I get into the fanfic reading, I just want to let you know I'm at Ian Nitram. That's my first and last name spelled backwards on Twitter and youtube.com slash passion of the nerd. If you'd like to support the channel and keep me flush with Diet Red Bull and Easy Mac single-serving cups, you can do so at patreon.com slash passionofthenerd. With the $5 and up club on Patreon, you can join me in the hangout this weekend. Or you can support the channel by grabbing yourself something at passionofthenerd.com slash store. And last, if you're an Amazon Prime member... You may not realize this, but you can support me for free by using your monthly Amazon Prime Twitch subscription at twitch.tv slash thepassionofthenerd. All right. So, we're doing two chapters today of Here is Gone by Terry Boda. Um, because I was off last week and started the wrong chapter, I... Uh, my notes were off this week. It's uh, chapters 14 and 15. Uh, links in the show notes to the previous chapter readings if you need to get caught up. There is a single video for uh, chapters 1 through 10 and then um, links that should get you right to the time code in other podcasts where you can get caught up. All right. Here is Gone by Terry Boda. Apologies again, John. As he thought, Soldier Boy had abandoned the Scoobies in deference for a vamp suck job, and he came upon Giles, Willow, and Xander grossly outmatched by a pair of female vamps. Throwing himself into the fray, he dusted one while Willow scored a lucky shot with another. Good work, Red, he complimented. Willow gave him a shell-shocked look but smiled. Thanks, Spike. The three humans were breathing heavily. Giles and Xander took quite a few blows, and the pain showed on their faces. My God, a rough night, Giles gasped. Whoa, I did one of them, yay on me. Pretty cool, except for the part where I was really terrified, and now my knees are all dizzy, Willow said, losing her balance. Spike caught her and steadied her on her feet. And Spike got the other, Xander said. Good for you, Spike. <clears throat> that was not <laughs> Giles. Good for you, Spike. Now, why are you here? Giles asked, catching his breath. Just came from the hospital. Buffy said you were out here with the soldier boy, so I thought I'd lend a hand. Where is Captain Cardboard, anyway? He replied, making a show of looking around. Good question, Xander replied, getting to his feet. Not so much of a big success night for me, but I think I should get points just for showing up. Yes, that was disappointing. Things would have been much easier with Riley here. They began to stumble out of the graveyard. Spike followed closely. Oh, Piffle, who needs him? Whoops, Willow scoffed, then tripped on her own feet and nearly fell. Spike caught her again and set her back on her feet. Okay, it, it might have been good if he showed up, she admitted. But hey, Spike's here, so it wasn't that we didn't have some super strength help. I suppose he just forgot, Giles offered. Doubt it, Spike said dryly. Boy's problem is that he's a real boy now and not a super soldier. That kind of thing does something to a man. Yes, well, 
I'm sure he had a good reason for not being here, Giles covered. Yeah, Spike agreed, sighing. Look, you lot go home. I'll finish up here, then head back to my crypt. If I run into Captain Cardboard, I'll tell him I gave you the night off. The three gave him blank looks, and he ground his teeth. Are you all stoned? Go home. You can barely walk as it is. Big Bad's got it so you kiddies can toddle off to Betty by. Confused but exhausted, they moved to obey. Spike watched them leaving, his face calm and neutral. Giles turned around, a question on his lips. Joyce's surgery is in a couple of days. Buffy and Dawn are with her. I need to kill something. You go on and get me inf some info on that glory bint so the Slayer and I can take her down. He spoke before Giles could speak. Then he nodded at the stunned man and stalked off to the graveyard. Once he went out of sight and earshot, he switched to game face and began to hunt. He knew the space roach demon would be arriving soon, but he wasn't quite sure when. It would be sometime between now and when Joyce came home from the hospital to wait for her surgery date. He planned to kill it when he tried to hurt Joyce. He planned to kill it when it tried to hurt Joyce. In the meantime, he was free. Free to wreak havoc on the demon population of Sunnydale. He was worried about Joyce, sick with the knowledge of what was to come, and tortured by the fear that he wouldn't be able to stop any of it. His soul took a back seat as his demon ran unfettered and left a trail of carnage in his wake. By the time he stumbled into his crypt, exhausted and battered, he killed a dozen vampires and four lesser demons. It was empty, thankfully. Harmony had left the previous evening to hunt and shop in L.A., and she wouldn't be back until... Until Drusilla returns, he thought, re remembering his sire even as he collapsed into bed. He'd deal with Drew when the time came. He slept the sleep of the exhausted, and did not wake until the following evening. When he did, he ate two bags of blood and headed to the hospital. He took the DeSoto, preparing for the possibility that he might drive Joyce and her daughters home. He found Dawn sitting by herself in the hall, right outside her mother's room. Hey, Niblet, he said quietly, coming to stand in front of her. One look at her face when she looked up at him made his unbeating heart ache. Spike. Softening, he crouched down to her level. What's wrong, sweet bit? The, team's, the teen sniffed back a sob. It's Mom. She's, she says awful things, but she doesn't know she's saying them. He nodded. Uglies in the brain make people do and say things they normally wouldn't. Dawn bit her lip and looked down. She, she wants to come home to wait for the surgery. Buffy's arranging it now. Spike looked around, trying to see if the demon he had nicknamed Space Roach was around, but he saw no sign of it. Is that a good idea, Bit? The hospital's the safest place for her if something goes wrong. Dawn shrugged. She's really upset here. I, I think she feels better waiting at home. Suppose that's true. He stood, looking at the door to Joyce's room. Let me see if I can find out what what's going on. He knocked lightly on the closed door, and a moment later Buffy opened it and peered out. Spike? she said, surprised. Hey, Slayer. How's Mum? Buffy cast a glass, glance behind her. Um, Dr. Kriegel said she can go home and come back for her surgery. She's getting dressed while the doctor gets the medications ready. 
Do you need a ride? I have my car tonight, he offered. Buffy looked taken aback, and for a moment he thought she might actually take him up on his offer. But then she shook her head. We, we have Mom's SUV. I didn't know you could drive, Slayer. I, I can't, she admitted. Driving without a license, then, he said with an amused wiggle of his brow. Decided to walk on the wild side, eh, pet? Buffy smiled and shook her head. No, Buffy and cars do not mix. Gonna let Mum drive, then, he asked, concerned. She nodded. Is that wise? Buffy shrugged. It's not that far. Spike didn't like it. I'll follow you home, at least. Make sure you get home all right and settled in. You don't have to. Look, Slayer, I don't want to be the one who has to explain to Giles that you, your mom, and little sis got wrapped around a tree because I let you put a woman with a brain tumor behind the wheel. Buffy still looked unconvinced. Slayer, what harm is there in my making sure you get home in one piece, he pressed. Buffy sighed and relented. Okay, I guess it's probably a smart thing to do. Mom's not been herself today. Spike nodded. Bitesize told me she's been saying things that weren't very nice. Buffy looked away and hugged herself. Yeah, she said faintly. How are you holding up? I'm. She was cut off by her mother, fully dressed, coming out of the room. It feels so good to be out of that damn hospital gown. She stopped when she saw Spike. Spike! Hello, Mum. Come to help me escape, have you? He gave her a wry smile. I tried, Joyce. Even offered to get the getaway car, but your eldest would have none of it. I have to settle for backup this time around. Joyce chuckled and pushed past him, heading for the nurse's station where the doctor was filling out forms. Dawn jumped to her feet, and both girls joined the mother at the counter. Spike, Spike stood back, but kept an ear out, as Dr. Kriegel gave Buffy instructions. He was looking for Space Roach, but so far still no sign of it. That made him uneasy, because he knew from second-hand accounts that the demon was nearby. Well, I guess we're all set, then. You've got my phone number, pager number, and here, the doctor said, handing Buffy three prescription bottles. Those are the medications I talked to you about, the sedative and so forth, painkillers. Buffy looked at the bottles, uncertain. Right, I remember. If this is going to be too much for you, we can make your mom perfectly comfortable here. Spike thought he heard something and whipped around to face the mental ward doors, but there was nothing. Wary, he moved closer to Joyce and the girls, taking up a protective stance. Dawn gave him a confused look, but he waved her concern away. No, no, I've got it. I, 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 I really appreciate Buffy was saying when her mother suddenly snapped at her harshly. You look like your father when he cries! Buffy blinked and looked wounded, triggering Spike's protective instincts. Hey, hey now, Joyce. Joyce turned on him, eyes hardened and crazed. You think it will make a difference? It didn't for Angel. He was still a monster. Spike froze like a deer in the headlights at Joyce's words. She can see my soul, he thought frantically. Mom, Buffy said, tugging at her mother's sleeve. Joyce snarled and put herself in front of Buffy. You'll never touch my daughter. Buffy looked apologetic. Spike, she's... I know, Slayer. Dementia lived with it with Drew. Know all about it and the nasties it entails. Buffy gave him a grateful smile, thankful that he understood, then turned to the doctor. I told you she's been... The doctor nodded. I, I know, he said, then got Joyce's attention. Joyce! Joyce, we're done here. Why don't you take your girls home now? 
Joyce's eyes focused on him, and she slowly returned to herself. He smiled at her reassuringly. Uh, yes, yes, thank you. Thanks for all your help, Doctor, Joyce said after a moment. I'll see you in a couple of days, he said. Thank you, she told him, then turned to Buffy and Dawn, smiling. Let's get the hell out of here. The ride home was nerve-wracking, and he couldn't smoke because Dawn decided to ride with him. She sat forlorn and small in the passenger seat of the DeSoto and didn't even play the, with the radio. Mom's going to be fine, sweet bit, he comforted, desperately needing a smoke. Dawn nodded sadly and examined her fingernails. Spike, she said after a moment. Yeah, bit, he answered absently, concentrating on following Joyce's SUV. Am I real? His stomach bottomed out, and he almost jerked the car to a stop. What? he said in a panic. Does she know? No, she can't know. She she didn't find out until Buffy's birthday when we broke into the magic shop. These guys, crazy guys, two of them, both said I wasn't real. Well, you said it yourself. They're clear off the rockers, he covered. What are you doing listening to loonies like that? Dawn shifted uncomfortably. I don't know. It's just that sometimes... Look, Dawn, you're 14 and going through a lot of changes. It's normal for you to be questioning yourself. But don't take it too far. She looked unconvinced. Do you feel real? He finally asked. Y yes, I think. Let me put it this way, Niblet. If I didn't have this chip in my head, you'd be a nummy treat. You'd bite me? Really? She sounded happy at that. In a heartbeat. He gave her a side glance to see her smiling at him. What? That's a compliment coming from you. Thanks, Spike. He shook his head and focused back on driving. Teenagers. On to chapter 15. Cat's going a little crazy. Sorry if there's background noise. Once at the Summers' house, Spike supported Joyce while Buffy unlocked the door. The woman visibly sighed with relief at the moment she crossed the threshold. It's nice to be home, she admitted. Nice to know you are home, Mom, Spike said. Do you want to get into bed, Mom? Dawn asked. I Buffy turned on the foyer light and Joyce shielded her, shielded her eyes. Oh, that light. Oh, Buffy, no. It, it's too bright. It's too bright. She cried, starting to panic. Oh, okay, Mom, Buffy said, hurrying to turn off the light. Buffy, it hurts. It, it hurts my eyes. Buffy looked at a loss, not understanding. It's all the lights, Pat. Even the ones in the other rooms. Gotta turn them off. You go ahead and turn off the lights upstairs while I help Mom up. And Niblet turns off the lights down here, Spike told them. Uh, okay, Buffy agreed, getting flustered. The girls scattered. Hurrying to turn off the lights, and Joyce started to calm down. Spike steadied her and took her by the elbow, guiding her to the stairs. It's all right, Mum. I can see in the dark. I won't let you stumble, he whispered soothingly. Oh, okay. Slowly, they made their way up the stairs. Buffy met them at the top, offering her hand. Here we go. It's okay now. Together, they helped Joyce into her room, and Spike let Buffy take it from there. He waited until she came out of the bedroom before setting phase two of his plan in motion. Gonna patrol, Slayer. Excuse me. 
I'll check in tomorrow and see how things are. That was Spike Cooper. If that wasn't me, that would be gross. She gave him a nod, and he gave her a smile. Dawn was coming up the stairs as he was going down. I'm off to keep sunny hells safe from my friends, bit. I'll see you tomorrow, he quipped, passing around the stairs. Good night, Spike. Thanks for your help. Night, bit. He detoured through the kitchen and picked up a large knife from the butcher block on the counter. He remembered that Space Roach could be killed by severing its spinal cord, but or whatever it had in place of a spine. Tucking the knife into his duster, he left the house to stand sentry. When Space Roach came crawling, he'd be ready to squash it before it could be but before it could come anywhere near Joyce or the girls. He did a few sweeps of the block and the neighborhood, but no extraterrestrial bugs revealed themselves. He returned to stand sentry, taking his place behind his tree, and waited. The night passed. Spike heard the television playing in the living room. There was a brief commotion a while later that appeared to be Joyce having another fit of dementia, but the girls got her back to bed. Shortly thereafter, Spike heard Buffy in the kitchen. She had turned on the radio and was playing salsa music. Confused, he approached the back door and peered in through the window. There he saw Buffy crying at the sink. Water on, music bearing, music blaring to hide her tears. Feeling like an intruder and not sure if he could keep his presence secret much longer because the urge to comfort her was so strong, he backed off the porch and stood on the edge of the lawn. A moment later, he heard the first scream, followed closely by the second. It took him a moment to register it was coming from inside the house, but he heard another scream. It was Dawn's, and he would recognize her voice anywhere. Realization hit him like a brick, and he cursed. Damn, the thing is already in the house! No longer worried about Buffy seeing him, he burst into the house. Buffy! he yelled as he raced through the house, heading for the stairs. Spike what? he heard her say, but he didn't stop. Dawn's screams were in his ears, and he was insane with panic and rage. He took the steps three at a time, moving as if the very legions of hell were on his heels and barreled for Joyce's bedroom. He found Dawn trying to help a writhing Joyce clear her face of vicious, viscous goo. Dawn, he hollered. Spike the bed! It's under the bed! Dawn screamed. Just then, the creature skittered out from under the bed, leaping up and crossing over Joyce's legs. Dawn screamed again, and Spike roared. He lunged for the demon, but it leaped up. Spike spun, swinging his fist, and it hit it and hit its hard shell, slamming it towards the doorway and into Buffy, who'd come running after Spike. Buffy! Dawn yelled. Buffy ducked, kicking out with one foot at the creature, but she missed and it skittered down the hall. Oh my God, Mum! She cried, turning and rushing to her mom's side. She's all right, Slayer, but Space Roach is still in the house, Spike said. Buffy briefly checked on her mom and then nodded. Dawn, stay here. Close the window, lock the door. Don't come out until I say it's okay. Dawn, traumatized, her face streaked with tears, gave a shaking nod. Where'd it go? she demanded of Spike. Down the hall, he replied, pulling out the knife. Where'd you get that? Buffy asked, recognizing it as hers. Your kitchen, he answered absently, tracking the demon. Buffy would have questioned him Buffy would have questioned him more, but he suddenly took off, leaping down the stairs in a single bound. She tore after him and found him slashing at the beast as he as it tried to climb the wall. 
Grabbing the broom, she slammed it down. It shrieked as it fell and spit more goo, striking her in the face. Repulsed, she swiped the mucus off her, but in doing so, turned her back. The creature jumped. Slayer, Spike howled. Buffy was threatened, and instinct, already triggered by the threat to Joyce and Dawn, went into overdrive. Hearing the demon coming forth, Spike grabbed the demon and slammed it against the kitchen wall. It spat goo into his eyes and used his momentary blindness to climb the wall again. He snarled with rage and leaped after it, brandishing the knife in one hand. With a strike that was powerful enough to slam through drywall, he skewered the space roach and yanked it down, gouging the wall as he did so. The space roach screamed and writhed, trying to get away, but it couldn't use its spit because Spike had it pinned face down. He hacked once, then twice, holding the demon down with his free hand and sliced through the hard shell, slashing with unfettered fury. Die, you bloody piece of shit. You'll never hurt my girls again. The red rage was tempered by Buffy's hand on his wrist. Spike, it's dead she said, her eyes wide and shell-shocked. Coming back to himself, his demon face melting into his human features, he looked down to see that he had hacked the bug to bits. He was breathing hard, the adrenaline rush ebbing from his body, leaving him numb, and he dropped the knife from his nerveless fingers. Slowly, he shifted himself away from what was left of the body and slumped back against the counter. Buffy was staring at him in shock, but he shook his head, his eyes closing. Go check on Mum and Bit, he rasped, still breathing hard. She silently obeyed, and he let himself relax. The kill had been oddly satisfying. The one bloody thing he'd been able to do since he'd been sent back, but he worried that he might have given away too much. He heard Buffy come down the stairs and felt her staring at him, but he couldn't look at her. Whatever questions she might have asked him were abruptly cut off, however, when Riley arrived with a team of commandos. He used the distraction to stumble out, escaping her piercing gaze. Unfortunately, it was a brief reprieve, and his actions hadn't gone as unnoticed as he thought. All right, so since uh, Kitty has decided to get a fresh case of the zoomies i'm gonna go ahead and end there all right friends i feel like today's conversation went in some strange directions but you know so it goes please take care of yourselves this week go easy give yourself a break take a breath wherever this is going we'll all get there eventually Today is the only thing we have control over, so please be kind to yourself, and I'll see you in a week.